All right, welcome to another episode of Dark Mode. This is one of your favorite episodes and one of our favorite episodes. It's just Gabe and Ben talking today. Gabe, thank you for joining me on another fantastic episode. Fan favorite, big fan, Ben. Ooh, looking forward to fan. this one. Not my only fan. Uh, we have some exciting topics to discuss today, Gabe, but firstly, we've hit a milestone just recently. Do you want to lead us into what that milestone was, perhaps? Yeah, how good is that? We've been going strong for exactly a year now, Ben, Dark Mode. Wild. So, wild. It's flown, hasn't it? It has. I have aged a little bit in <laughs> terms of the greys, but 12 months. I, looking back on it on the weekend, I thought just going through the list of guests that we've had on the show, the topics that we've discussed, it's fantastic to see the community that we've grown and, and it is exponential at the moment. I think we hit 10x growth in just the last couple of weeks. Is that, am I right with yeah. those Queensland math numbers? Yeah, the Queensland math numbers, exactly. Well, for me, it was a big eye opener because when we started and we've been speaking about how there's that exponential growth factor and typically from what we learned, you know, it does take a long time to build things. You can only imagine what will happen in 10 years with the growth after one year of seeing by being really consistent, which by the way, there's been challenging moments and some inconsistencies, but I feel in the calendar year for 2023, we've really pointed the compass to say, let's get one episode released every single week. That's our goal. Let's get the consistency going. And bang on one year, we hit a 10x growth trajectory in the week, meaning that what we experienced in terms of viewership within the, within the week was more than the, um, you know, just the classic, like the previous eight months or so. So I think the stats were, what was it? Within a day, we we're hitting like 400, 500 views. Whereas previously to the week, there was maybe 30, 40, 50 views in the day. Total listens at about 10,000 and literally like 33% of those views happened in that one week. So just crazy. crazy. Three and a half thousand views in one week versus the remainder of the 67% or whatever it was in, in all time since then. So really excited to see how the next year goes and beyond. Right, oh, it's going to be absolutely wild. So firstly, big thank you to everyone that listens, everyone that looks forward to the weekly releases. And a big shout out to the people that hit the like button on the YouTubes and give us ratings on the Spotify's, the Apples, the Googles, the Amazons, the everythings, because that is how this show grows. So yeah, if you haven't done that yet, please, please hit subscribe, please hit a like or drop a comment, get in touch with Gabe and I, because even that simple click, even that simple message adds weight to what we're trying to do here with the dark mode community and grow this platform over the next 12 months. So please hit that subscribe button. Gabe's about to launch into something. Go. Well, I just wanted to know your view, Ben, like when you saw, when you're seeing the growth, like how does it make you feel? It warms my heart to, to know that the conversations that we're holding, the people we're bringing are on point and people are enjoying them. We do this for ourselves as much as we do this for everyone else. And it's warmed my heart from day one. So it's, it's great to see that it's resonating with the community and that community is continuing to grow. It just, it fills me with faith in what we're doing is, is important for the broader community. What about yourself, Gabe? Yeah, it's just cool to build something. I'm, yeah. you know, as we've spoken about before, I'm, I love learning about myself and having that self-awareness as to like where my strengths lie. It's great building out a team. You know, Kayla's really instrumental in a lot of operational back end, which has really helped keep me on track. So big shout out to Kay. Co-hosting with you, we're very complimentary in terms of our styles. Um, so I think that brings a lot of value and entertainment as well on the episodes. And then we've also got some amazing international local domestic guests too, and a lot more to come. And then the thing that I would say too, which might be a good segue into our episode titled around artificial intelligence is... Just the exponential growth factor is one side, but what I'm personally learning and upskilling myself around using AI or using tooling and software to get the productivity gains with everything else going on in life to actually run a podcast end to end from the creative and ideation through to the editing post-production and then scaling and content and building an audience, far out could not do it unless it we had these tools and this technology to underpin how we sort of go to market in a sense. So I'm personally loving getting involved and learning new things and just harnessing the power of AI to actually build that speed in terms of creating and executing on you know, this creative outlet for us, which is the Dark Word podcast. 
Absolutely. Speed and scalability. And that is a great segue into the title of, uh, of today's episode, which is what in the French fries is AI <laughs> and just breaking it down. So we've seen in the last, you can tell when weeks, Ben, when you can tell when Ben names an episode, what, <laughs> when the Harry Houdini is AI. <laughs> How good is it? Good. The last few weeks, Gabe, I just wanted to, to get your views over the last couple of weeks and in particular last couple of weeks, there's been a lot of conversation around AI and it seems that we're entering the phase of fear mongering, like most things that are going to impact and change the way we operate as humans daily. Uh, there tends to come a phase of fear mongery. We've seen that in the cybersecurity industry and we have uh, thankfully moved on from that phase, but it has reared its ugly head again. And just last week, another great podcast I was CEO had the ex Google, Google X. He was the head of AI essentially for Google X. Mo Gordat. Did I pronounce that correct? Mo Gordat. I may yeah, have mis mispronounced yeah. that one. Excuse He's me. come out with an episode of within Diary of CEO and has made some statements that he has been saying for some time, but it's become more popular with the release of that episode. Just, just to give you a couple of his comments, Gabe, digital superintelligence is humanity's single biggest existential crisis. And another one that he mentioned, and he dives into quite heavily is the risk is so bad. In fact, that when considering all the other threats to humanity, you should hold off from having kids if you are yet to become a parent. That is all around AI, artificial intelligence, and where we are currently in the world. What are your thoughts on some of those comments, Gabe? Yeah, well, we have delayed kids, so there's one thing. <laughs> <laughs> the second thing is the last guest episode we did, we spoke about superintelligence, and I've been on the bandwagon to understand what the existential risk lens is like for the last five to six years because I found that really interesting coming out of a lot of I think I first stumbled upon like the Naval Yoa Harari Homo Duos you know the 20 21 lessons for the 21st century the sort of literature that really put me down the rabbit hole and then therefore I ended up discovering the Future of Humanities Institute and then Nick Bostrom who is a philosopher and he talks about superintelligence being an existential risk to humanity there are a few existential risks that I've spoken about quite in the limelight, which includes climate change, nuclear weapons, nuclear war. And the recent one within the digital era and the technological revolution has very much been superintelligence, which by definition is more of a theory and concept around machines becoming more intelligent than humans. And so therefore, do they become out of control? Do they not listen to us? Do they have different value systems and therefore make decisions based on things that we might not necessarily be in our best interest as a species. So I found that really interesting. And I would say at the moment, I feel like there's a big echo chamber too, as it relates to the existential risks component. And even recently with a burst of ChatGPT and generative AI, Sam Altman, the CEO of OpenAI has been in front of Congress saying we need to work out how to control this and handle this. But to your question, particularly Ben, about the fear-mongering side, I don't know, for me, it's getting a little bit tiring, isn't it? It's just like the doom and gloom side. And you, know, you and I are very much on the same page in terms of being a bit more optimistic as it relates to how to shape and transform these technologies for the betterment of humanity. But certainly there's something to be said when some of the biggest, brightest minds that have worked for some of the largest tech companies developing artificial intelligence come out and say, this is an existential risk. Like We do need to work out how to use it and control it. Completely agree with you. There was a good story released in the weeks just gone before we've recorded this episode where, uh, and I believe you sent it to a group chat between myself and Sean Duke. Shout out to Sean. And it was about a rogue Happy drone. Happy birthday, Sean, by the Happy way. Happy birthday, SD this recording. Yes. <laughs> and it was about a, a rogue drone that, that took decisions into its own hands. I won't say that it was sentient, but it certainly learned the path of of resistance and demonstrated an ability to, to remove that path of resistance. So I just want to give you the breakdown of that story and then keen on your thoughts. It was a few weeks ago that a Colonel and chief of AI testing and operations for the US Air Force told the story. Essentially it was involved a drone. It had the kind of learning algorithm used to train computers to play video games and board games like chess and go and having it to train a drone to hunt and destroy surface to air missiles. At times, this is a quote from uh, the good colonel himself, at times a human operator would tell the drone not to kill that threat, but it got it points by killing that threat. So what did the drone do? It killed the operator because that person was keeping it from accomplishing its objective. 
that is a good example of some of the abilities of what I classify as super intelligence. I have the great education history of the Queensland education system. So that's probably not too hard to get to super intelligence, but keen on your thoughts on that story, Gabe, is that a good example of what you were just discussing? Yeah, I, there's a lot of things that I think about when I see an article like that, read information like that, because one side of me, again, this critical thinking side, which is, okay, firstly, is the article true Mm. or is it, is there some sort of malice behind it or misinformation ploy behind it? So we'll just park that for now. Maybe we can come back to that. (laughs) (laughs) The second part is, you know, a a drone killing its operator. The story could have, the story could be valid or it could be falsified or potentially accentuated for the clicks and the reader, reader viewership and that sort of thing. But let's say in the circumstance that it is factual, mm-hmm. it sounds like a very out of control algorithm because like a drone is not something that is super intelligent or sentient, right? And, and by the way, if you're not familiar with sentience, it's basically like it's sentience means like living and something has consciousness and it's like, we've got sentience, you know, animals have sentience, they're living beings, right? So then how do we, how does a machine become sentient? Well, we're very far off that because we're still yet to define what consciousness is and, you know, there's, you can go down a whole path around what that means. But yeah, there's, there, there is most likely a lot of examples where machines have come, have been out of control and therefore caused harm. There's a lot to say, how do we govern those things and make sure they are safe enough to use and potentially it requires a lot more development and testing to make sure that it's safe to use machine operated drones and that sort of thing powered by AI. So just really interesting as to where where those examples are and how we can, you know, learn from that and improve it for next time. But it sounds like it came out of defense and they're testing that and there's all sorts of crazy stuff coming out of defense advanced research projects agency and what the Department of Defense is doing and all sorts of things. So We'll see. Well, I'll give you a little update and that's, that's why I ask because I know your thought process when you read articles is very much to determine bias. And we've talked with uh, some of our previous guests on making sure that we understand bias. It's um, just because I'm disagreeable, Ben. This is like screw very high and disagreeableness. <laughs> Fake news. Well, well uh, three, the uh, Department of the Air Force has come out and a spokesman has said the Department of the Air Force has not conducted any such AI drone simulations and remains committed to ethical and responsible use of AI technology. This was a hypothetical thought experiment, not a simulation where the colonel had misspoke during his talk. See, there you go. You look under the covers a little bit more and that intuition. See, just say no first and then work it out later. (laughs) Crazy. But interesting. See, so then, so Ben, what you're saying, you reinforce my first thought, which is, is the article even factual, which it turns out not to be. So then this is, this is, this is interesting, right? Because people read that they might not have that critical analysis. But then this narrative and the sentiment starts spinning up to say, well, AI is out there killing people, which is an incorrect statement, as we've just discussed. And then it breeds the fear mongering around the artificial intelligence topic, which we which we led in with on this episode. So just really interesting, that human dynamic and how the narrative can really spin something just completely in a different sort of trajectory than what it's on. Absolutely. It, it was used to fuel the fire, which is, is the narrative that's been in the media of, of recent weeks. And just going back to Mo Goodat's narrative, noting some of his comments, Gabe, if I was to mm-hmm. ask point blank, is it FUD or fear, uncertainty and doubt, or is there substance to it? What would you answer with? My first instinct, again, like I take the same approach, which is being really critical as to his comments. He's got, he's got gravitas because he comes from, what was his formal role at Google X, which is yeah. also important to distinguish that he wasn't at Google, but he was at. Google X, which is more of the innovation startup hub within the conglomerate of the alphabet entities. The second part is he had quite a technical scientific role being in the artificial intelligence domain. So then he's got, he's got the experience to back up that he's seen how Google in fact is developing these technologies and he's made a decision to opt out of that and start communicating now to say, this is an existential risk. We've got to work it out. So then I think. Well, why is he saying that? What part of his life is he at? I mean, the the next thing that I discovered was a week after that episode, he went and became the chief AI officer at Flight Story, which is a marketing agency of Stephen Bartlett's. So they're working yes. together now. 
So then it makes me question, again, the validity of his comments because is it clickbait? Are they there looking to get viewership because fear-mongering usually does get the likes and the views up because everyone buys into that narrative? And he's also, what I noticed on his LinkedIn is he's based out of Dubai where his heritage is, whereas, you know, Stephen's very much running a UK-centric agency and business. So Mo may be at this point in his life where he's taking a little bit more of a active role in building, you know, being a part of sort of leading the AI conversation through a marketing agency, which is Flight Story, and then building on the hype. And again, back to my comment before about the echo chamber, there's no real, like if you've been following the AI conversation for the last five, six years, let alone the last 10, and by the way, you know, the first real application of AI was in the 50s, there hasn't really been any different narrative as it relates to what is the doom and gloom dystopian future of AI? Like that's always, and we've got as human as humans as well, we're going to go very much to what's a threat to us? What could become higher than us on the pecking order? And should we be worried about that? So we immediately go there first, just generally. And then, and we'll come to the discussion about well, how do we start changing that narrative now and thinking about actually applying this technology and actually looking at the transformative power that it has but just to round that off, I'm skeptical when people come out and say, this is really drastically the most existential threat to humanity. When you look at existential threats, you've got to really understand like what the probability of them are coming to fruition. How universal can they be? Don't get me wrong, like superintelligence is absolutely up there with an existential threat, just like the other ones I mentioned before in climate change and nuclear war and the rest. Um, I just think it's a bit of a rally call to say we do need to get the best practitioners, the brightest minds in the world. People universally need to learn about this sort of thing. And we've got to work out how to shape it for the betterment and how to actually use it for more meaningful applications in our daily lives than just saying machines are going to work out how to program each other and become these autonomous agents that just become smarter, bigger, greater, more capable than us. Because I feel like we are still a little while off from that. Just to add, I, I feel like we're probably a long while off that, but uh, I think your commentary around uh, embracing it and, and getting the, the best and the, and the smartest and the brightest minds together to, uh, to, to bring a more sensible and practical application for these capabilities over time is critical. Uh, and, and I think we are working our way towards that. I agree with your commentary too. I think that especially with Mo Goodat, I just implore people to, to look behind the curtains of the reason why it's not that evidence that Mo has been hired by Stephen Bartlett. So their impetus behind this conversation is certainly a bit of fear, uncertainty, and doubt in the misleading title of emergency episode. That is the, the first two words in, in the title episodes. If you look behind it, you will see that he is hired by Stephen Bartlett and there is certainly bias and impetus. He does have credibility in this space. So I have no doubt that Mo has seen some uh, shiz, shiz and shebang. But what that means in terms of his commentary around existential crisis and holding off from having kids, I think there is certainly a bit of fear, uncertainty, yeah. and doubt for it. I think, I think the other thing, Ben, that comes to mind for me is potentially those individuals don't agree with the companies develop, like the way that ethically they're being developed. Yeah. So then they choose to opt out, right? Which there could be a host of things happening, which could be like in attention retention on platforms and algorithms, it could be privacy issues, it could be the fact that they're not collaborating with ethicists or policymakers to make sure it is safeguarded. Personally, they could have had a moral contrast there to say, I don't want to be a part of this personally because it doesn't align with my value systems and therefore I'm going mm. to, you know, shift, exit out of this company and go on, go on to my own endeavors here, therefore. So if you think about that, it's the, sort of the Google, Google X side from his personal experience, but what about what OpenAI are doing? You know, Sam Altman just spent a period of time in front of Congress. You know, they're, and the thing about AI is like, the, it's still very black box, right? We, we don't know exactly the predictability behind how those mass le deep learning algorithms come and generate an outcome. So it's still, it's this big black, black box into the abyss. We don't know how it fully works. Same as human consciousness. We don't fully know how we work. <laughs> but then you look at open AI really on the frontier of AI. They're imploring people, we, there's a lot of unknowns, we're not, we don't have all the answers, but we're having an open conversation about how potentially we could be using it for the transformative power. And I feel like that's a far better narrative as it relates to what's happening in the landscape of AI.
Agreed. I listened to, and I wish I could remember it off the top of my head right now, but it was in, in the deep, dark depths of my rabbit holing for this one where a scientist had drawn a parallel between our understanding of AI in terms of the generative effect on the, the algorithm and black holes. We understand black holes to the point of where gravity ends. That's all we understand. The rest of it is, is the great unknown. And similarly with the AI process, we understand the algorithm up until the point of the decision-making of that to then mm. provide that generative outcome. I thought that was a cool parallel. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. Do you want to go into the definitions of AI? Ben? Yes, ma'am. proposed a really interesting white paper. I thought that was, I really enjoyed reading that. So thanks for serving that one up. But those definitions yeah, were really interesting. Yeah, before that, so the next phase of this episode is what in the Harry Houdini is AI definitions <laughs> and some of the breakdown of, I'm glad I got you with a, a mouthful of water then. <laughs> I thought it was going to come out. So, so good. Um, the, the impetus behind this is, impetus is my favorite word of the week, by the way, you've probably heard me say it a couple of times already. Pumps, Pumps that is right. So I just, the impetus behind it, I had a conversation with my family, as I do, is bounce some ideas off them. And, uh, and asked my daughters what artificial intelligence meant. The response I got back was quite interesting. And it may be if we have just taken the term artificial intelligence and taken it for a run without truly understanding the background of and some of the definitions involved. So I quite like Google's definition of artificial intelligence. So I'll just give you what that is broadly. So artificial intelligence is a field of science concerned with building computers and machines that can reason, learn, and act in such a way that would normally require human intelligence or that involves data whose scale exceeds what humans can analyze. I thought that is a cool definition of artificial intelligence in its own. If you want to dive even further, I went into the rabbit hole of understanding what artificial meant and intelligence means, which is a strange rabbit hole to go down. What intelligence? I'm sure Google looked at me and thought, what is this guy doing? It just sets the scene for the next piece, Gabe. I, I sent you a white paper in, in the lead up to this, which, which essentially breaks down the types of AI that, in, that have evolved over time. And I think that's a good way to, to distinguish the practical and consistent applications that we'll talk to shortly. So if you bear with me while I stand on my TED Talk soapbox again, I'll just read you some of those definitions. So there is weak, which is artificial weak intelligence or AWI. There is narrow AI, which is ANI, general, general AI, AGI, hybrid AI, strong AI, and artificial superintelligence. So just to break down some of the more common ones there. So weak AI is, is something that we typically see in our daily lives at the moment. So weak AI, if we break it down, is it can also be classed as narrow AI. So there, there is crossover between weak and narrow AI. It's a type of artificial intelligence that's limited to a specific or, or narrow area. It simulates human cognition. And it has the potential to benefit society by automating time-consuming tasks. So you think about weak AI or narrow AI as, as taking on some of those tasks, as Gabe mentioned earlier with the podcast prep and some of the behind-the-scenes work that's done at dark mode to get us into uh, saving time and moving forward. Some of the applications that you would see daily within the community is Siri, the iPhone technology that answers some of the questions, Amazon, you know, the suggested purchases or Meta's newsfeed or Instagram's newsfeed as you scroll through. These are types of applications for weak or narrow AI. Gabe, is there anything you wanted to add to weak or narrow AI there? Just that we are integrated already with AI and weak AI is a really good example. So I think those, those applications you mentioned, Ben, are great for the sort of everyday usage around this technology. Yeah, I think that was the... It certainly piqued my interest when, when I understood that to determine what is artificial intelligence and where we are currently. So we are currently uh, servants of AWI or weak uh, or narrow in uh, artificial intelligence. And it's, it's cool to see that the current state of that, as well as speculations of the future of strong AI and artificial superintelligence, they've been drawn from science, culture, and philosophy. If we talk about hybrid AI, it's immersed into hybrid reality. So we're also being impacted by a hybrid reality with, with some of the, you know, Apple just released their new glasses, which can populate screens through the use of their glass and uses cognitive readings from your eyes and from your hand movements that impact the outcome of, of those propagated technologies. That's the Vision Pro, Ben, you're talking about? That's yeah. the name of it. $3,999. Yeah. That's a steep price to get invested. That is. Yeah. So that's what application hybrid AI. Is that the that's, definition? Yeah. 
Correct. Yeah. So it, it sense, uh, essentially the breakdown of that is where a human ceases to be an observer and becomes a cognitive part of the system. Um, oh yeah. That, that's nice. defined as hybrid AI. So you are essentially, you're no longer an observer to that. So if we take Siri for an example, we are observing the outcome of Siri in terms of weak AI. But hybrid AI, we are now part of the system and cognitive part of the system. So using the Vision Pro, we now have a virtualized reality in front of us and our movements impact the outcome of that. So we are now part of the system in terms of hybrid AI. The last one there is artificial superintelligence and strong AI. They're considered synonyms. We did speak on artificial superintelligence and superintelligence, or I believe we used the term digital superintelligence in one of our previous episodes, Gabe which is also a synonym of strong AI, which is somewhat the future of. Now, I know that you had a, an interesting white paper that led into artificial superintelligence. Is there anything you wanted to add on to that one? Oh, the superintelligence theme, I think we've done enough justice around. I do feel like we're, the white paper you alluded to being like transformative AGI, which yeah. is interchangeable with superintelligence, by 2043 is likely to be less than 1%. So that was actually a submission by a few gentlemen, we can link this in the show notes to the Open Philanthropy AI Worldviews contest. And that's, I was alluding to before Nick Bostrom at the Future Humanities Institute, Open Philanthropy is sort of born out of that community and ecosystem. I do really recommend Open Phil. They're like an amazing organization and they do actually, um, the tagline is really around solving the world's biggest problems. And of course, again, the existential threat category and having super intelligence as part of that. But just really interesting to find this white paper which was only released 5th of June, 2023. So it was actually yesterday, it was released at the time of this recording on the 6th of June. So the likelihood around transformative AGI being very, very, very minor, less than 1% is not very likely at all, of course, but just the framework there to just really help bring to fruition the future scenarios where we, humanity takes sort of partially incomplete progress towards AGI. So that's like, it's a, I think about it as like almost this, escalation in terms of the capabilities and i just feel like those definitions of ai are really important so as you mentioned weak narrow general super intelligence and then the hybrid, and the hybrid. Yeah. yeah it's just really interesting as to where we're at yeah, it's an interesting it's an interesting piece and the white paper that i alluded to first and some of the breakdowns of the definitions we will link in the show notes because I, I found it an extraordinary piece of work by the authors so we will link that in Essentially, the white paper itself does research on the duality of AI. There's two humans. approaches. Humans yes, and machines. Humans and machines. And it's essentially uh, looking for that twilight zone that appears when trying to cons consolate two technological approaches that proceed in opposite directions. So the first is a, a non-formalizable cognitive and organizational piece aiming at ensuring the acceleration of decision-making processes, thinking of allowing for further conversations to be had, and impacting things that, you know, uh, potential brain deficiencies, uh, allowing for the decision-making processes to be easier and less time consuming. The duality of that conversation is that, you know, is it then, is it then allowing for errors in data to be re realized, the degradation of human analytical abilities, for instance, and the possibility of misperception and misunderstanding. And then the flip side of that is the uplift in cognitive ability for some of those brain deficiencies that some people may suffer from and uplifting the livelihoods of some of those humans and also allowing us to make better decisions based on the data that we're able to process at a higher rate and scalable in our daily lives. The second piece that it talks to is the hybridization of symbolic and sub-symbolic approaches. This is talking about neural networks, machine learning, ontologies, extended description, logic, and fuzzy information. Gabe, when someone says to you fuzzy information, what do you think? Information that's fuzzy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Made my hair stand up. Yeah. It's a technical term though, isn't it? If you had to look it up. I think it's yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. It's open access journal, journal publishing research on pure and applied mathematics, computer science, engineering, and related uh, algorithms that don't have a defined outcome. So therefore being fuzzy in terms of the information that it is being proceeded with. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. So Gabe, I sent this white paper to you before I lean heavily into it. I've been on my soapbox for some time here. Keen to get your thoughts on the outcomes of some of those, the research that's been done and the duality that stands behind what's been written about. 
Yeah. So first thing is, you know, I'm on the receiving end now of you throwing out heaps of long syllable words. (laughs) (laughs) When anyone picks up a paper like that, you think, holy shit, like who's going to read through all of this? I did because I wanted to get into the depths of it. There's a lot of language in there that takes a lot of rabbit holing. But if we think about just zooming out and simplifying the whole crux of the document. So first we just explain it in everyday terms. The white paper is there to explore the possibilities of machine and human duality, which is our coexistence with machines and in particular artificial intelligence as it goes through the scope of those different types of AIs as you explain them. Mm -hmm. Now, the outcome of it for me was really interesting and something that I really believe in, which is the whole discussion around integrating with AI requires an interdisciplinary approach. So that means we need to take the computer scientists, the philosophers, the, the socialists, the policymakers, the humanitarians, and build, a, build an amazing SWAT team and say, with all your different expertise and viewpoints and perspectives, how do we actually build and how do we actually build this and transform it into something that is going to be universal, universally and ethically applicable to our everyday lives? So that for me was really what I took out of the discussion paper, the white paper. And I really enjoyed hearing some of the technical depths of the system application. Simple systems really relate to the narrow AI, you know, it's just input output driven. And then all the way up to like a complex system, which artificial intelligence is in the black box scenarios and is, and, and life is a complex system and there's a lot of variables. So just like the the scientific method behind it, the computational thinking behind it, of which is an extension of our thinking, was really interesting to me. But I really liked where the white paper ended up, which is you know, really imploring that, that wider socio. Actually, I remember them saying the socio-humanitarian aspect and the managerial aspect as to how AI is applied. So we'll just break those two terms down. Socio-humanitarian is, again, more of the social outlook on how AI is applied universally to all of humanity. We know that there's digital divide and that sort of thing. And then the managerial aspect, which is how do leaders in in the business and economic context apply AI and manage AI to be a new value derivative for this business, the services and the products that they're providing. Love it. Love it, Kate Mazzato. That was great. That was a great break. And now you're throwing bigger words at me that I need to get later on. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's good white, to explain piece, them as well. So. Absolutely, it is. And that's why I think yeah. this white paper exists because it does a good job of doing a really in-depth discussion around the premise or the thesis, but it also does a great job of, of helping understand some of the basic concepts as well. One thing that I wanted to talk to you about, and we just briefly mentioned this at the start of our conversation before hitting record, which is not on the show notes, but I find it a really pivotal piece in, in understanding what AI is. In the white paper, something that I took away from an interoceptive experience from, from AI not being human-like intelligence because computers don't belong to a culture and not be, and therefore not, being, not having the ability to understand and act in the world. So therefore leading into the concept of conscious or artificial consciousness. You said something eloquent at the start around artificial consciousness, the ability for AI not to achieve artificial consciousness. Do you want to talk to that quickly? Just my viewpoint to say... You know, the whole argument around artificial general intelligence, again, interchangeable Mm -hmm. with super intelligence in layman's meaning, machines that are far surpass our own human intelligence capabilities. There's a lot to be said as to like the philosophical and the spiritual and the introspective side of us understanding more about intelligence in general. So for me, we again operate in the complex system realm of the world. Mm -hmm. Intelligence for us is a lot more than the rational and the logical side of smarts. And that's very much what is replicated in, you know, comp- computation and computer science. But there's a lot more under the depths of what it means to be intelligent as a human. So it takes into effect, you know, what is the emotional intelligence side? How is our social interaction, our social intelligence? You know, we've got thoughts, desires emotions, behaviors that fuel that. And then there's the whole realm of consciousness, which is still yet to be something that we can really truly put our finger on and say, this is what consciousness is and this is how it works and this is where it comes from. So it's just really interesting to see, again, 
potentially back to the dystopian future, fear-mongering, our machine's going to surpass us. Well, it's like there's so much to us as humans that make us intelligent than just the logical thinking side. We have so many more capabilities holistically and intelligence is really dynamic and diverse as well. Like we're highly adaptable people. I don't think we give ourselves enough credit for how intelligent we are or can be and especially given the dynamics of how that intelligence can be applied. So that's where I was going in the offline chat, Ben. I think before you continue, I'd love to just understand like what your personal definition of intelligence is. Oh, geez. My personal definition of intelligence is the ability to understand, process, and replay in terms of voice or cognitive output. I don't want to say complex problem solving, but problem solving to a higher degree. That is my, my, my definition of intelligence. And then compact that with in the decision-making process or the understanding process, you've got to be able to determine cultural impact, cognitive impact, all of it, the social impacts that provide a response to the problem statement. So in turn, you know, I sound like a politician here, but the definition of intelligence to me is understanding, making a decision, and then being able to deliver an outcome based on the problem statement that has all things considered. That, that is my definition of intelligence. How do, how is intelligence formed? How do you become intelligent? Oh, knowledge, understanding, experiences. There's so much that goes into that algorithm. Um, Everything involved in life at the moment, if you have the ability for self-awareness, the outside awareness, everything around you at the time of making a decision impacts the greater understanding of your own intelligence. So. It's not just about picking up a book and reading it. It's about emotional intelligence. It's about cognitive intelligence. It it is all things considered to provide the outcome, which is intelligence. And I know that you can't use the word that you're trying to define in the definition of that. (laughs) You know what a cyclical definition is? Yeah. (laughs) What is intelligence? It's intelligence. (laughs) That's that's a hard one. Even when I was was looking at it, when I was breaking down what artificial and then intelligence means, um, it is up to the operator to determine what your own definition of intelligence is. Do I have a defined statement for that? Probably not. But uh, Hmm. if I was to break it down in a whole bunch of of rabbit holes, it would be cognitive intelligence, emotional intelligence. It's a hard one to define. You're using intelligence to describe intelligence. I think what you said before is right. It's it's fundamentally like the ability to learn and apply that through knowledge acquisition and then what Hmm. you do experientially is like, is what I hear a lot of the time is as a general definition of intelligence for sure so then it's like okay then how do you become intelligent and that goes down another rabbit hole but then as you as you discovered which is like okay what is artificial intelligence so yeah what where does is artificial just something that is not real and then therefore intelligence is applied to it you know very, very in my in my view very quickly we get into the deep depths of philosophical debate because there's still a lot of unknowns in a lot of these realms so I've just got a, a cerebral leaking from my ears here. <laughs> clean that up a little bit. Yeah. What did you find around artificial intelligence, Ben? Like, do, um, what did you I'll, find interesting I'll, when you when you rabbit hold that? Yeah, I found it interesting. The ethical conversation comes up a lot when when you try and define artificial intelligence and and what is real and what's not, and is it artificial because it's being made by a programmatic system, not a system of intelligence that supports cultural, cognitive, all things considered. So. That, that's what I found interesting in the definition of artificial intelligence is where do you draw the line? What, what is an intelligent outcome and what makes it an artificial outcome or just an intelligent outcome based on, yep. uh, on, on the, the data that's being consumed to be able to deliver that? Mm. Yeah. And in my view, the simplest definition of artificial is something that is not real. Yeah. But, but if, then... you put, yeah, if you put uh, intelligence alongside that. So if you make it artificially, yeah, that's what, yeah, good question. Or is it, do do we talk about augmented intelligence right now? Because the machine human duality, which we just spoke about on this episode. Yeah. You know, that's probably a better technical terminology definition. But then there's like a whole new branch of epistemology that comes out of this, which is new knowledge creation by definition. That's the word of the day, epistemology. Which is, you know, this is, people are saying now, well, what is, 
okay, well, what if artificial intelligence does become super intelligence? And what if it does gain consciousness? And what if it does become sentient? Then is it artificial anymore? Where's that line crossed? Yeah, exactly. That's a good question. Well, it's not because, because artificial is not real, but if it become, becomes real, but how do we apply the meaning to it becoming real? But is it, is it real in the sense that it provides tangible outcome? Like that intelligence, that intelligent response is still a real response. Yeah. Well, I think that's why it shifts from artificial intelligence by definition then to super intelligence by definition. Oof. That's the difference. That is the difference. Yeah. Well, that's going to continue my rabbit hole for the rest of the week. That's probably a good segue into what I wanted to add into here at the end, Gabe, is talking about some of the ethics behind artificial intelligence and some of the good work that Australia is doing and leading the way for that. Is there anything you wanted to add before I jump no. into this piece? Oh, yeah. I think this is probably the most cr critical part of the next wave of development is around the ethical moral implications and the whole discussion around value systems now. So keen to, keen to get your views, Ben, on, on what this entails. Yeah. So for all listening, the Australian government's Department of Industry, Science and Resources have developed eight artificial intelligence ethics principles that are designed to keep Australia's use of AI safe, secure, and reliable, which I like those three, three words, safe, secure, and reliable. And the eight principles, I'll just read them through from top to bottom. Human, societal, and environmental well-being is one. Human-centered values, so talking about AI systems respecting human rights, diversity, and the autonomy of individuals. I think that is, that's a key one there. Fairness, which I think is a 50-50 for me, but AI systems should be inclusive and accessible and should not involve or result in unfair discrimination against individuals, communities, or groups. I find that is going to be hard to define when we know that algorithms, 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 algorithm. yeah. are Alg written algorithm. by people, algorithms <laughs> are written by people and therefore have innate biases as part of, we've seen that run poorly in, in the past. Privacy, protection, and security, that's to me a no-brainer. Reliability and safety, that's in line with the three principles at the start. Transparency and explainability game. And this one just triggered a lot of things here, and I'm keen for your thoughts on it. But this is, by definition, there should be transparency and responsible disclosure so people can understand when they are being significantly impacted by AI and can find out when AI system is engaging with them. Go. Well, is that achievable? That's exactly right. <laughs> At the moment, it's not, but absolutely, it, it is a principle for AI development, yeah. for sure. So getting the transparency and explainability in AI systems is absolutely what we want to achieve. I don't know if it's achievable at the moment because of the whole black box piece. Yes. But that will be an, a key principle and imperative to build confidence in the technology, for sure. And it is a big call to action for a lot of organizations around the world. Absolutely, it is. Uh, moving down the list, contestability, when an AI system significantly impacts a person, community, group, or an environment, there should be a timely process to allow people to challenge the use or outcomes of the AI system. I understand why that is a principle in line with your commentary for transparency and explainability. I find that is going to be, it should be a moral compass for developers of AI systems in the future. Will we get there is the question. And the last one, which is accountability. Now, accountability by definition of the principles is people responsible for the different phases of the AI system life cycle should be identifiable and accountable for the outcomes of the AI systems and human oversight of AI systems should be enabled. Now, that one sparks a bit of controversy too. What are your thoughts on that one, Gabe? The, what was it again? Accountability. Accountability. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, for sure. Like. Um, all the principles I really like. Principles yeah. are great. It's just about now, how do we apply them? How achievable are they? Can we measure them? Can we make sure they are in all parts of the AI development life cycle to Absolutely. be able to, you know, achieve all those things. So they're yeah. a great list of eight. I, the last one for accountability for me, I went straight to uh, the example of Tesla and self-driving cars. Does that mean that Tesla are responsible for some of the outcomes of the self-driving system or the human operated sits behind the wheel for human override? There is going to be a whole change to our legal system when it comes to AI and the implementation of AI as, as our general lives change for that. So I am super excited to see where some of these principles get, get defined, get further defined in the AI system life cycle. I feel like they should be baked into the, the build phase. They should be baked into the test phase. They should be baked into the post-consumerism phase as well. So 
Um, I find that the industry.gov.au have done a great job of defining those principles as we stand. But just lastly, there is a call to action here. The same industry.gov, so Department of Industry, Science and Resources for Australian government uh, is now calling for submissions for responsible AI in Australia. They want to hear our views on how the Australian government can support the safe and responsible use of AI. Um, now a call to action for all of our community in the dark mode audience is we want to submit a conglomerate response. So rather than everyone going through the tedious process of making sure it is in the format required, please feel free to send your thoughts to Gabe and I on LinkedIn, uh, reach us on email, whatever you have the ability to. LinkedIn is probably the easiest one. Send us your thoughts on how the Australian government can support the safe and responsible use of AI, and we will provide a dark mode conglomerate response to the Department of Industry. Gabe, thoughts? Yeah, very cool. Send them in. I feel like people will gravitate a lot to security, given yeah. where the first uh, series of dark mode in the first 50 episodes came from. But interesting, we're moving into the AI space, potentially for the next 50, Ben. See how we go. Yeah. I personally am a big fan of the human-centered values, so definitely respecting human rights, digital rights in the misinformation age. We spoke about that in a previous episode of dark mode. Diversity and the autonomy of individuals, as you described before. Absolutely. How do we achieve the human-centered approach to AI development? And then the others, I feel, probably second for me around transparency. So what do we do from the principles? Again, how do we apply them? How are they safeguarded? I think it's a really good starting point and would love to see all of this be followed suit as a framework for the future technological development. So also, just quickly, Ben, I found it really interesting that the first principle in human social environmental well-being really quickly linked to the UN Sustainable Development Goals, which was really, really interesting. Benefit yes. to all of humanity and future generations. Love that. I love that yeah. future generations are being considered because it's typically a forgotten piece. We tend to embrace technology yeah. without the concept of future generations. Got a last question for you, Ben. Oh, dear. <laughs> I didn't prepare for this. <laughs> no, just interested. Have you had any breakthroughs in applying AI in your daily life? Yep. I have. I've had a few breakthroughs in that, you know, home automation is probably the biggest one for me. I now have set times that the lights go on, the lights change color for. So you walk in and it's like, woohoo, Ben's home. I, w I wish it was a class. Let there be light. That I've always wanted. Um, you need the color. <laughs> yeah, I do. I've got to, I've got it set up so that you can have routines. So Monday through Wednesday is a different routine to Thursday, Friday, and then Saturday, Sunday is just disco theme. Um, but it, it's yeah, the 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 breakthrough that I've had certainly in home automation and some of my rabbit holing research and even daily taskings with have been impacted by AI in terms of just understanding how you can leverage uh, AI. And probably the easiest one to think about is, is GPT or chat GPT. I know that everyone's invested in that. So um, how well, do you get to understanding not, it? Oh, apparently not. not. I did say everyone. Oh, Sorry, Gabe. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> Please, that's a good segue. Oh, yeah. Just again, interesting that a lot of people have heard about chat GPT, but only a small mm. percentage are actually using it and applying it. Had a really interesting and thought-provoking conversation with the CTO of Data3 last week, Graham Robinson about how he was asked to present to the board around how AI could disrupt or transform the business. He then also provided some playbooks to a lot of the people in the organization, but he had to really break it down to say, here are the prompts you need to use. Here's how you can view it as a sales assistant or a marketing assistant or an operations assistant, all those sort of things. I just find it really interesting. I do feel like it's a big imperative for people to and not just read about things and go through the doom and scroll, but spend some focused time really learning and working out how to upskill yourself around even just using some of the new tools. ChatGPT, for example, even just when you first jump into the interface, if you haven't used it before, it's not the most intuitive thing because it's configured a little differently. If you are on the plus edition, it does actually, you do need to go into the settings and go into the beta features and, you know, jump into ChatGPT4 and some of the plugins. I interestingly just did a demo over the weekend for the AI mastermind challenge that Palo Alto Networks is running. So I'm really keen for you, Ben, to check that out today. Please let me know what you think yes, of it. We just show you how we're leveraging AI in end-to-end -end podcast creation for dark mode. That, that for me, in a reverse question would be, 
certainly the breakthrough that I've had just continuing to iterate on a lot of the platforms that we use. So that's everything from Descript, how we use that to automate the transcript and do the video editing for the episodes, through to Notion, AI plugins, generating new ideas, questions, prompts, just automating the lifecycle, which takes instead of, you know, when we first started Dark Mode, it was taking me 10 hours a week to prepare one episode and edit it to do one episode, everything from the ideation, preparation, execution, and distribution. But now it's taking me like 30 minutes, which is, if you just think about the productivity gain in that itself, how can we apply it to other areas of our life? I think the next demo that I'll do for Pella is how I'm going to automate my job as a channel business manager. <laughs> and I can sit back and sip lattes with partners. So stay tuned for that one. <laughs> you don't do that already? <laughs> Shock. <laughs> <laughs> It's already set up. <laughs> so I can get so much done, Ben. <laughs> no, it's just up. really interesting though. Like I, I, I really love, I love learning about it, but I love actually doing it. It's, yeah. it's really, really interesting. For anyone that is interested in doing it, because I know a lot of people have not embraced the AI modeling, get your head around, and this would be my recommendation, get your head around the, the language learning models for things like ChatGPT power in chat GPT is, is harnessed by your ability to ask it the right questions with the right context. So if you want to get into the realm of AI and I highly recommend it is start with the chat GPT and understand the learning models and the languages that you need to do to support an effective outcome. Yeah. You can download chat GPT on your phone and just have a conversation. Like I'm literally in Ubers in between meetings in the day. And instead of scrolling on LinkedIn or Twitter, I literally get open AI chat GPT app on my phone, which is literally just an interface. And I just ask it questions and have a conversation with it to learn about something new. So yeah, it's a good place to start. It's a great place to start. We've covered a lot in this episode, Gabe Marzano. Is there anything you want to leave the audience with before we close it out? No, I think we covered a lot of depth there, Ben. Looking forward to the next one. So I am looking thank you for your expert time. preparation on AI. Well, what the French fry is artificial intelligence. That is right. <laughs> there was a call to action there. Just reminding everybody, there's two actually. Subscribe on whatever channel you listen to now. If you've made it this far, we appreciate you. So click that subscribe button, hit the five stars, give us a comment, give us a like, whatever that looks like. Throw a shucker up in LinkedIn and give us some, some love there so we can grow the platform. The second call to action was in line with the Department of Industry. Uh, and the call for submissions for the safe and responsible use of AI. If you do have thoughts with that, even if it's a one-liner, a one-sentence, I want to hear them all. So send them through on uh, LinkedIn if you can. And that is another epic episode of Dark Mode Gabe Marzano. That is a salad wrap, baby. Happy day, Sully Ben. Thank you very much. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to our YouTube channel or leave us a rating on your favorite podcast platform. See you on the next episode of Dark Mode.